What's up, man? I also don't have another clever question for you to start the show with, like I usually do. Hmm. Let's see. What's a good question? How do you feel about horses? Don't get me started on horses. I, I hate horses. I hate horses, too. They're so uppity. <laughs> I don't know if that's the word I'd use for them. Uh, superfluous is what I'd call them. Well, one, they are irrelevant. What does it say for your species whenever your sole reason for existing in this age is for the hobbies of the worst humans on the planet? White women? Yeah. Like... You went and from, bourbon aficionados. The only person persons that should have horses in this day and age are like the Amish, or like the the various groups of people that refuse to use cars. You know what? Even then, I, I don't think they deserve them. Well, like it, they made a choice. They did, and they get to keep them. I think they get to use them. But it's like, what do horses get used for? We put acid on their hooves so that they dance, and we pull carriages with them for fun. Yeah, and sometimes have sex with them. Well, some people do that. Some people, but they're not necessary. They're not useful. You don't eat them. It's just an entire cottage industry. Yeah, and I feel like if it wasn't for these hobbyists, we would kind of have to exterminate them for like the same reason we have to regulate deer. Could you imagine just like wild horses causing car accidents? <laughs> I mean, like I think it'd be fine to let horses go in the wild to be wild horses. Well, you can't trust them not to do like dumb deer shit. Okay, but we don't kill moose. Yeah, we do. Not really. I mean, I mean, not they we, walk out in the but... road and they get hit by cars just the same, but. That's not a, like, they would just be a wild, they should just be wild animals. Like, there's not a reason for them to be bred for our fun. I mean, I agree to that, but also I feel like if they were wild animals, they'd be an even bigger problem. Uh, it's like, imagine if we had wild cows. There are wild cows. No. Yes. I ain't never come across a wild cow. They don't live here, because this isn't like the home of cows. Man, we should have mentioned that in our Blazing Saddles episode is how much we appreciate the horse violence of Mongo. <laughs> it's funny because Mongo, like, by today's standards, isn't that big of a dude. He's probably like 6'2", 230. Man, I was um, I was listening to the last podcast on the left, I think, and uh, they were talking about this 14-year-old who's 6'10". Yeah, and wears a size twenty three shoe. He's that been, Puma's having to custom make for him. It's Reebok. It's because Puma, uh, Puma and Under Armour. I thought it was Shaq and Reebok got together. Unless this is a different fourteen year old with a size twenty three shoe. because no, this guy's been going around Instagram. I know what you're talking about. My, the the version I had heard was that his mom has like a group on Facebook called like Kids with Big Shoes. <laughs> my my son's large feet. <laughs> and Puma said. No, no one has a mo, mo uh, a mold for a shoe over twenty two inches. Mm -hmm. So we'll custom make you uh, whatever some special Puma, yeah, Under Armour shoe. And then they were like, "How big Shaq's feet?" And Shaq's feet's only twenty two inches. Well, turns out Shaq wears a size twenty two shoe, but he actually has a size twenty foot. But he wears a shoe bigger than his foot because he always had to wear smaller shoes when he was younger. So now he likes and the so room. And so his flex okay. is, 
I wear shoes that are too big. I wear the biggest the, shoes on the planet. Because I'm never going to go back to having small <laughs> shoes. He wears Paul Bunyan's <laughs> boots. So, you know. They I, say the Great Lakes formed after Shaquille O'Neal jumped really high and landed hard. <laughs> so, Samantha brought up a good point about, I bet Shaq had the same problem with soap Oh, that, uh, that Chuck did. I guess I need to clarify that. I, I sent Michael a clip yesterday of Chuck sharing this embarrassing story about why he brings his own bar soap on the road with him because the hotel's soap bars are too small and he almost lost one inside his asshole. Yeah, so he's just like, I was watch- washing my bits and, you know, almost lost it a couple of times. A couple of times. Yeah, and Shaq, Ernie, and Kenny just kept having to ask, what do you mean lost it, like down the drain? No. <laughs> well, and Kenny's like, I'm more concerned about the fact that you decided you need larger bars of soap now. (laughs) (laughs) Just sitting on them. (laughs) And you know, like, I wonder if Shaq's had that same problem. I don't know. That seems like a real big guy problem. I know that Shaq used to, like, piss in a bucket and throw it at the rookies on the the Lakers. (laughs) I think it might have been piss and shit. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, and I told you this, or I asked if you'd heard it. Uh, You know, Chuck was like, I would... You know, if we trained one night, had to fly into a game, I'd get to the hotel and I'd, you know, shower in my uniform. And they all started roasting him about why would you shower in your uniform? And he's like, how else are you going to clean it? We were all doing it. And they were like, nobody was doing that. Take your uniform off, wash it, and then take a shower. You don't have to bathe in it. And he's like, oh. But the idea of like leaving all these wet clothes on or leaving these clothes on, getting them wet and then having to take off wet clothes yeah. every day. Are you familiar with the term Shaq syndrome? No. What's that, that? That's where you're like a really big dude with an average size penis, but because you're so big, the penis looks small on you. Huh. Yeah. Makes sense. Like Shaq has like a normal like six inch dick, but he's seven foot one and 350 pounds. So on him, it looks tiny. Well, and you would think because he's got a size 20 foot. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds like a curse.
get back what you can do from you, more is going out the door. Well, you just have to try to get the granny to come. Your granddad never asked me to sign on Welcome to another episode of The Snob and the Scent Presents. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Michael. And today we're going to be talking about 1992's Unforgiven. But uh, before we get into that, Michael, what have you been watching this week, man? You know what? I'm Besides Shaq's before we move on, I'm mediocre just, dick. I'm, I haven't watched that at all. The past two episodes, you've had a weird focus at the start. It's because I didn't have a question prepared? I guess, and your default is just... How can I put Pen- Michael on the off Penises and, and semen. Okay, the cum talk was you, buddy. That Talking was about not me. Guy yogurt. I made up a Sausage-flavored of- guy yogurt. I saw where you were going. I wasn't, but I can see why you went there. You don't have to invent sponsors to explore your homoerotic fantasies. Just do it off the mic. <laughs> I think it was just the idea of making up a sponsor and the homoerotic fantasies. How do you just, even make sausage-flavored yogurt? Like I, fennel I, seeds? I don't know. Vegans <laughs> make up stuff all the time. <laughs> like an Impossible Biscuit. I don't know. Impossible Biscuit? Is, is that like a vegan biscuit with like no butter? I mean, I imagine that the Impossible Biscuit is like a sausage biscuit that's vegan. Oh. I don't know. I don't say okay? It. it was just... I, I One, I didn't make up the sponsor. It's a real sponsor. They sell real vegan yogurt for men that tastes like meat. Why is it for men? Why can't just anyone eat it? I don't know why they do that, but they give us money to mention them. They don't give us money. This is another company you've invented, and you're acting like I cornered you. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I don't know why you're being so hostile <laughs> towards our sponsors. Well, you criticized how I opened the episodes. I just said you've had a theme for the past two weeks. <laughs> that seems very aggressive. Man, it's real sus how you're questioning my man yogurt like that. It's not man yogurt, it's yogurt for men. Will you just tell me what you fucking watched this week? <laughs> so, I watched uh, Primus play at Bonnaroo. Uh, what year? Like recently? Last year, I guess. I think they were there last year. Okay. Um, I love Primus. Have you seen the uh, South Park 25th anniversary concert they did with Primus, Ween, and uh, Rush? No. It's really good. It's all on YouTube. It's Well, of course, Matt Stone and Trey Parker are doing songs, too, but it's a really good concert. Is that the one at the Red Rock Camp yeah. or whatever? I saw the Trey Parker, Matt Stone parts of it, mm-hmm. but I don't think I ever watched it. I'm not a big... Thing. I'm not the biggest Primus fan, but it was a really good show. And uh, whenever they bring out Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson at the end, because this is after uh, fucking, ah, oh, shit, who's the drummer from Rush? That Neil Pert, after Neil Pert died. And they got uh, Matt Stone on the drum kit, and they didn't know that they were bringing out Rush. Like, everyone but him knew. And then uh, Les Claypool turns to Matt before they do the song. He's like, hey, Matt, don't fuck up. <laughs> 
I can't imagine the anxiety you get playing drums for Rush as a fan. You know, I don't, I don't know. That's intense. Um, but Primus. Pork just, soda. It's just so talented. Like Les Claypool is just so good. It's hard not to be impressed and fixated with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just so weird that all of that effort goes into nonsensical music. Like he's so he's he's that level of talented where he's just like I make art, weird I, art I for don't, me. I don't dislike them as much as I dislike the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but there's kind of that same thing of like ironic white funk that kind of annoys me. I don't know why it's ironic white funk. I, I think it's just it's white guys playing slap bass. Well, it's white guys doing funk music, and they realize that it doesn't look good that they're doing it, so they have to be like silly about it. I think you're putting a lot on there. I don't think they're, I don't think Flea goes, oh, I'm not allowed to do funk music. Oh, it's got nothing to do with Flea. It's everything to do with Anthony. Anthony's the one doing self-conscious white funk because Flea is giving him funk to, you know, sing over. I don't know. I don't know about that. Primus, I'm less harsh on it for because it comes across like more silly and juvenile. Primus is just, just strikes me as very experimental. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. They're very proggy. So in a way that Red Hot Chili Peppers aren't, you know, I will say like I'm a huge Chili Peppers fan, but one of the more recent singles, Tip of the Tongue. Is, uh, is that it, the one you played for me in the truck and I got like yeah, real mad, real upset about it? Is that the one that was like, yeah, it's well, that's every fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers song to me. It's insanely nonsensical. It sucks because like Anthony Kiedis can sing. But then he does that shit most of the time. I mean, I like it. I know you like it. <laughs> I Like, I admit, like, there's part of it's like, well, I don't know why you made this so nonsensical for no good reason. Mm. But, you know. Well, he's ripping off Mike Patton. But Mike Patton only did it for like a year or two. But the best part of Red Hot Chili Peppers is all of the slap bass. Yeah. And Flea has like his like punk rock bona fides. He's like a big part of like the nexus of California hardcore in like the early eighties. Yeah. It's really Anthony Kiedis that bothers me. I think you're just too like judgy. One sucker got to suck a little penis. And fixated today for some reason. You got a real oral fixation today, my guy. I need some yogurt to put in this mouth <laughs> to fix this oral fixation. Some yogurt for men. Can you start specifically. smoking or something again? <laughs> Cigarettes? Yes. <laughs> Why would that help? It's like I got oh oral fixation. <laughs> yeah. Can you just start smoking cigarettes? I want you to die sooner. I don't want to end our friendship, but it needs to like be expedited. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I want to kill you, but if you could just die, could you die a little quicker? <laughs> Being around you is taxing. But you know, so this promise concert from Bonnaroo. Yeah, I mean, I just was watching and sit there and be like, man, I can't understand a bit of Les Claypool's vocals. Yeah, because he got all the effects on him and he's using funny voices, but he's just slapping away and you're like, this is just, it's so good. Effortless. You know, and you put him up there in like the category of Les Claypool is probably as good, if not better than Victor Wooten when it comes to slap bass. But mm. Victor Wooten is more... Those are big words. Div- I think Victor Wooten is more diverse. Yeah. And like Les Claypool is like... Slap bass. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably the best slap bassist. 
Well, Victor, Victor Wooten's probably the best bassist. Well, Victor Wooten's also like gotten around musically. Like he's mostly been like a studio guy, so he's had that diversity because it's been necessary for him. It's never been like this is Victor Wooten's band in the way that Les Claypool has Primus. Well, right, but I mean, Victor Wooten has mastered so many different styles of bass. Yeah, and played them effortlessly. Melodic, like he, he's melodic bass lines, mm-hmm. rhythm bass lines, whatever it may be. Like, he's so good at it. Probably the best hands-down bassist, generally. But I think, like, Les Claypool, because he's really known for the one thing, is just slapping the shit out of bass. And that's what he does. That's what he fixates on. And that is probably the best at it. You should trade in that Squire P bass of yours for a five-string. I should learn how to play an instrument. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess you could do that first. But Yeah, so funny thing about trading in my bass for another bass would be I still wouldn't know how to play bass. Well, you know, you cross that bridge when you get to it. And, you know, slap bass is um, probably harder than regular bass. I can it's do at it least a, more physically punishing. I can do it a little bit, but I don't really have the precision of somebody that does it, you know, often. And I, I don't want to have to super glue my fingers back together. Who did, who did that? Flea. Oh, did he bust his fingers open that bad? Yeah, he would, he would slap bass so hard at concerts that his fingers would just blister and start bleeding. And so he would just go backstage and super glue his fingers back together. Hmm. I would just use like electric tape if that would me, but I. You don't have dedication to the art. What What's undedicated about using electric tape to hold your finger together instead of super glue? Affects it's, the sound quality. It wouldn't. It would. No. I just think you're dumb. Okay, I know about 30% more about slap bass than you, so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and assume you're wrong here. I've listened to a lot more Red Hot Chili Peppers than you. <laughs> So I think I'm the expert on slap bass. It's yes. I'm the I'm I know more about slap bass and improv than you. Oh, you're saying I should have been using words with that because I don't think he was. No, he wasn't, but it still improvises. <laughs> uh, what what have you been watching then, Mr. High and Mighty? Well, uh I've wrapped up Blood Meridian. How far did you get? Did you was it about as far as you told me that one night? The yeah, I hadn't picked it up since I talked to you about the it. church revival scene. Yeah, I, it fell down behind my nightstand. <laughs> I well, I guess it's gone forever. <laughs> I didn't pick it back up. You want me to buy you another copy? <laughs> well, it's not even like it's a closed back nightstand. I just have to reach, <laughs> just reach through the bottom part of it. It's completely visible. <laughs> Are your arms too short? Hands too small. I just haven't bent down to pick it up. You're right. That's a big ask. I'm sorry. So if I wrapped it, up Blood if Meridian. If it had more commas and periods in it, I would pick it up. <laughs> well, give that copy back to me, and I'll go through and annotate it with commas and quotation marks for you. Will you really? No. <laughs> I'm not going to take the time to do that. But, well, I guess check out the audiobook then, like I said last week. Well, not last week, but whenever I talked about Blood Meridian. Who voices anyway, the audiobook? Uh, I don't know. I think the version I got was from Audible, so one of their regulars, I'm sure. Hmm. Is it good? Yeah. I like a good strong voice reading to me. You know, uh, the uh, the narrator can fuck up a good audiobook. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Well, I also don't really believe in audiobooks. Like they don't exist? or You know, I'm a big fan of telling people who listen to audiobooks that they haven't actually read the book. I do think that's fair because it, it's a more passive experience as opposed to actually physically reading the words. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think you get to claim listening to an audiobook as a book you've read. 
No. You've not read it. You've listened to it. Okay? You've listened to it. Enemy of the Pod this week, I'm still in it. It's okay. people who claim that they have read a book they've only listened to. All right. I'm just kidding. But yeah. I do, it does aggravate me because it's like, I'm not talking to anybody specifically, and especially not the person who's listened to every episode at least once. So but, you're talking about your girlfriend, Sam. But. <laughs> That's exactly who you're addressing you right now. You can't claim to have read a book you listened to. You can't fucking do that. You can't. Yeah. It's a different thing. It's a different activity. <laughs> so, I wasn't going to talk about Blood Marie and just that I wrapped it up. And that set me on course to watch all the Cormac McCarthy film adaptations that exist. So, I rewatched No Country for Old Men. I watched The Sunset Limited for the first time, which was really good. I didn't get to watch All the Pretty Horses because I thought it was still on HBO, but it's not. Anyway, this is all to say, while on HBO, I picked up Deadwood. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. I thought that would be a great companion for this month is if I watched along with Deadwood because I've never seen it before. I think I started it once. Well, I watched the watered-down version of Deadwood, Justified. Oh, yeah. Also, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. I like Justified. I haven't seen all of it. I think I watched, like, most of the first season, but... Well, you know, Justified's also got um, whatever his name is that I always forget. Walton Goggins? Yeah. Incredibly talented actor best probably the second best part of uh yeah. vice principles yeah um he might be the best part no of vice Pri- you shut your mouth danny mcbride is the best I bet part when of when she vice- comes over here she smells just like fucked butthole see what i tell you <laughs> fucked butthole um no but he's he's a fantastic actor he does a great job in justified mm-hmm. he's the perfect villain. he's great in the shield too as a villain and he's supposed to be in the new fallout series on amazon there's a Fallout series coming to Amazon. Yeah, he's going to be a ghoul. That's probably going to suck. I mean, good casting. I could see him being like a... a we'll see. It's a Fallout 3 that has the ghoul bartender that calls you smooth skin. Yeah. Yeah. In Megaton. Yeah. Eh, you ain't going to hit me or nothing, are you? <laughs> but almost a lot of the ghouls call you smooth skin. Yeah, true. He's just the one that goes, "Don't you're not going to hit me? And you're like, no. And he goes, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody turns into Carl Childers for you. <laughs> It's just my roots. Yeah. Oh, another aside. Uh, didn't that one foreman from the beginning of Blazing Saddles that gets him to sing Camp Town Races, doesn't he remind you of Walton Goggins because of the big shiny teeth? Oh, I don't. Taggart's uh, right-hand man. Yeah, I guess kind of, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So Deadwood. Yeah, Deadwood. Tell me about it. It's really good. I think I'm about done with season one. Uh, it's got some really solid performances. Of course, Timothy Oliphant, which... It's weird that he always gets cast in these like gritty Western protagonist roles because it's not that his acting's bad. I think he does a good job, but his face is so like pretty boy. Yeah, he's very pretty, but his face is also like very friendly and welcoming. I think it's like his eyes. So do you call him Oliphant or Oliphant? Oliphant. Why? Uh, that's just how I've always said it. Timothy Oliphant. I don't like it that way. Why do you? How do you say it? Oliphant. Oliphant. Like elephant, but with an O. Elephant. Oliphant. Let's get retarded. <laughs> Oof. Woo-hoo. If the Black Eyed Peas can't say it anymore, neither can you. Those fucking cowards. They should have fought the it's label over there. It's still in like the Vietnamese version. <laughs> Samantha showed me a video of them playing it in a Vietnamese hotel. <laughs> it's the original version. Well, that's because Vietnam is the last free place on earth. <laughs> I've always said that. 
Liberty will die in Vietnam. In Ho Chi Minh City. Not because it's going to be where Liberty gets killed, but it's going to be the it's last, the last place, place you can say left. retard. <laughs> Ho Chi Minh City. Um, I mean, I just, mm. I think Vietnam might be the last bastion of Liberty. I agree with that. So Deadwood. It's like when uh, Frank Reynolds served in Vietnam. Doing corporate takeovers. Yeah, in the 90s. <laughs> 90s. You're opening a sweatshop. <laughs> God, I love Always Sunny. I know. Anyway. If, you if were... they weren't already doing their own rewatch podcast, I'd do one. Oh, I would love to just watch Always Sunny and then just recite Always, Always Sunny back to people. Mm-hmm. I miss that Bird Law license plate. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I had to get rid of it. <laughs> Yeah. Because people almost run me down off the road trying to take pictures of it. <laughs> <laughs> I once drove past these people and they just like flew up behind me trying to take a picture and got way too close on a real curvy road. And I was like, what is wrong with y'all? Stop. <laughs> I know it's funny. I, <laughs> I know it's funny. That's why I did it. But please don't hurt me. <laughs> anyway, Deadwood. Yeah, so in the early aughts, HBO had a lot of really cool shows that only got like two or three seasons. And Deadwood, like Spartacus. That was Stars, and that was oh. way later, but yeah. Like Entourage. No, Entourage was on way too long, and that show fucking stunk. Was Entourage on HBO? Yeah. Oh. Uh, Rome. Rome. Rome is a perfect example. Gosh, I'm trying to pick ones that weren't on HBO. Oh, well, you were correct with Rome. Rome was a very short series from the early 2000s that was very good. Uh, Carnival is probably my favorite one. With a Nick Stahl. Oh, Nurse Jackie. That's Showtime. And that one was on for a long time. So Uh, the qualifications that you're trying to ignore right now are, number one, was on HBO. Number two, was on there in the early to mid-aughts. And number three, only had two to three seasons. I can't think of any more that weren't on HBO. HBO had so many. Yeah. Well, I didn't think you were trying to be helpful. I assumed I was trying to help you be more unhelpful. Like, oh, Dexter? (laughs) Dexter? Yeah. There you go. Are you talking about the Nick? Uh, oh. Are you going to finish what you're talking about or what? Oh, about there being great shows on HBO in the early 2000s? Sure. Yeah, they're great. What is about Deadwood? <laughs> it's a good it's a good example of the revisionist Western like we talked about on last episode. Uh, a lot of moral ambiguity. Everyone's a little bit shitty, but not to a cartoonish degree. Uh, the main antagonist, if you could call him that, is... I guess you would call him a vice lord, and that's Al Swearinger, who runs the casino, brothel, and bar in town. You know, speaking of westerns. Yeah. True Blood. Yeah. Vampire Western. Is it? Went on for way too long. Wasn't very good. Yeah. HBO. I, my mom and sister love that show. I never checked it out. I think they also love like the book series it's based on. But Hey, man, I've, I, I can't. I watched all of True Blood in like 2018. Why? I don't. I just started watching it, and did, then was this something like Sam asked you to do, or did you do this independently? I did it independently, and I was like, I started watching it, and then I was like, well, I need to finish it yeah. since I've started. Well, I was going to say it, it could be too bad if you finish it, but then I remembered I'm talking to you, and then it got so bad. And Anna uh, Paquin is never, ever accomplished a Southern accent. No. <laughs> Doesn't really get that close. Mm -mm. Um, I think she's from the South. (laughs) You wouldn't know. No. Her accent as Rogue in the X Men movies was always terrible. 
I mean, she's like a fine actress, but her accents are not on point. Mm. They're also not on value. Like uh, yeah, the guy from Genesis Diamonds. What? <laughs> you oh, ever hear the, the Genesis Diamonds the radio ad? Okay, yeah, okay. it's just like a Boaz Ramon, and he's just like my accent is always on value. Yeah. Okay, I got you. I got you now. I think it was like an IDF or something. Yeah. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I don't think I'm making that up. But anyway, yeah, True Blood was terrible. I imagine it was. Didn't that have the one Scars guard that went on to be in the Northman? Oh, I don't know. I think he played the main guy, Bill. Oh, Bill Skarsgård. Well, isn't that the character's name too? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he's a Skarsgård or not. I think he is. I don't know if it's Alexander or what. That's a really good question. Of course, I didn't know any Skarsgårds because that was before uh, yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that family's been acting since like the 70s. Like, I think their dad is like a famous like Danish actor. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so... Alexander Skarsgård, there's a guy named Eric. He's a vampire that kills a bunch of people or something. Sick. He kills a bunch of people in The Northmen, too. Have Sick. you seen The Northmen? Nah, again, Vikings. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Well, it's good. It's Robert Eggers. You like the Vavitch? Uh, talking about the witch with Black Phillip? Yeah, the Vavitch. With Black Phillip? Yeah. yeah. I like Black Phillip. Mm-hmm. We've talked about The Lighthouse. I don't know if you would... I still haven't watched it. You would either love it or absolutely hate it. I could imagine it being like the most polarizing film I could put in front of you. I've got to watch it today or something. (laughs) I've got to get that done. You do it right now in front of me like a piss test. The list of things for me to watch that I I really need to do are The Lighthouse, the, uh, what, unbearable weight of... Massive talent. Of massive talent. I also really need to see that new Dracula movie that... With, uh, with yeah uh, Nicholas Cage. I don't know when that's out, but yeah, Renfield. That seems like it's going to be really good. So, list of movies for me to watch. Okay. What's your uh, uh, if you don't have anything else, you watch anything else good? Oh, uh, besides Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got kind of too off on a tangent to really talk about Deadwood at this point. But. Yeah, I kept trying. <laughs> yeah, I was like, more about Deadwood. <laughs> more about Deadwood. Well, you see, the thing about the Western civilization is that it was a mistake. <laughs> We should have never left the cradle of civilization. No, okay, I, hot I, take, hot take. I reckon that's all I got on Deadwood. Well, you got any uh, enemy of the pod this week? I do have an enemy of the pod. I can't stop crying. Fuck you, you suck. Fuck you, asshole. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> Tell me who we're warring against. Today's enemy of the pod is actually the director of today's film and star, Clint Eastwood. Mm, I I can't agree with you because I hate I hate chairs that pretend to be Obama. <laughs> yeah, and so does Clint Eastwood. I don't know that the chair made the assertion that he's Obama. Clint might have just gotten confused. That chair that yeah that chair decided to speak out of turn. Mm. Tell old Clint. That he was Obama. So, similar to what I was talking about last episode on the Blazing Saddles episode about Hollywood cowboy guys being fake pussies, Clint Eastwood and John Wayne are both prime examples of You mean fake hard asses. Yeah, you're right. Fakes that are pussies. Not fake pussies. Yeah. Fake tough guys. And it's specifically those two that lived it the most. With Clint, 
number one, he was uh, born and raised in Piedmont, California, to a very wealthy family. And he grew up during the Great Depression, but his family had like an in-ground pool, and both parents had a car of their own, which was unheard of at the time. Uh, he did serve in the military, but uh, he was a lifeguard during the Korean War did, at Fort Ord in California, so he never left the U.S. Did his parents have like Dusseldorf money? Probably. I mean, wait, Dusseldorf, that was like the big like luxury sedan. You should, no, that was a Yeah, Duesenberg. the big like, yeah, Dusenberg, sorry. Dusenberg, yeah. Yeah, the Dusenberg, the V12 supercharged town yeah, car that probably. could go 80 miles an hour in the 20s. Yeah. So, Did Rich, they have that money? Yeah, probably had that kind of money. Oh, that's pretty good money. Yeah. Rich, affluent Californians that uh, are super reactionary and right wing. Mm, that's uh, the worst kind of Californian. Yeah, I mean, he's a proto-Reagan. Him and Reagan were really good friends, I think. Wow. Yeah, so uh, to go with your libertarian rants of the past, that's what Clint identifies as personally. He's part of the Libertarian Party, but... Aren't libertarians supposed to be anti-war? Yet this man has fetishized like five different wars in his movies. I mean, I don't think you can fault him for that because I do, libertarian. And will because the kind of libertarian that he would be would be a free market libertarian. Oh, and by being so, anti-war, you're stifling the creativity of Lockheed Martin. No, I think what you would say though is that his willingness to fetishize war in movies is for a profit motive of the free market and if the free market didn't like war movies then he wouldn't make them i don't, I don't know man grand torino is a good movie well back to where we it's were offensive saying. but it's a good movie no grand torino how long has it been since you since you watched it? have you watched it recently I mean, no i mean it's been some amount of time after it came out a month a couple months a year or whatever it came out it does not hold up. And back to what we were saying earlier about there's no place freer than Vietnam. The characters from <laughs> Gran Torino found that out the hard way. I just really like because their his... whole backstory is that they were uh, they sided with the Americans during the Vietnam War against the communists and got kicked out. And now you have to deal with American racism because you picked the wrong side, dumbass. I just like his Gran Torino. Oh, the car itself. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sick. But you know the Gran Torino movie seem to be based like it's just him being a racist yeah like that's it an unapologetic unapologetic racist but but these racists or these uh subhumans hate communists so i guess i'm aligned with them you know I, i think the problem with clint eastwood is that he's always like he he's playing a morally righteous character Mm -hmm. who has terrible morals like his morals are inherently racist well it's or western centric at the very least well it's always like the textbook definition of reactionary is like oh back in my day people weren't pussies uh it's like well back in your day you were wearing a sailor outfit on camera and dancing around like a pussy he like that's how his career started on like rawhide was doing like fred astaire like dance numbers and shit i mean and also, i think your hostility has to be clarified because there's nothing wrong with the way his career started I think the problem is... It's how is, he presents himself to the public that pisses me off. Is that he's become an icon of the right of what is very badass. And he relishes in it. And and it's false. It's phony. And the same... Okay, okay there. I'm making my case. Okay there. And you're trying to refute it. I'm not trying to refute it. I'm going to stick you in I'm, the fucking heart. I'm saying clarify it because you're starting to sound like uh, Catcher in the Rye over here. I 
everybody around me is a bunch of phonies. So if I use the word phony, I'm automatically Holden Caulfield. Yes. I'm automatically an indignant, rich 17-year-old. Yes. No. Clint Eastwood is the Holden Caulfield of this story. He's a phony. I mean, I agree. I, but I just wanted to clarify that the problem with Clint Eastwood... Well, I've got multiple. One of the problems with Clint Eastwood is not that he did traditional, traditionally non-masculine roles it's that he did those and then decided to make his whole career i'm hyper masculine i'm one of the old men when things were good mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons i dislike it no just but just to be clear like that was it like it's not that he did the early stuff it's that he no. pretends yeah. like he's better than the early stuff yeah but people change and you know he used to be a piece of shit <laughs> no he became he used to be you know, just an actor. Now he's a huge piece of shit. No, he used to be a piece of shit. Now we're not he's there an yet. American man. We'll get to his. I uh, used to be a piece of shit. He's an American man now. Now, with all this being said, I do respect Clint Eastwood as an artist. It would be obtuse for me to say I don't like his stuff. Not just the stuff that he's acted in, but as a director, he's made great films. I would be wrong if I said he didn't. But it's his public-facing life that pisses me off. You know, and I have a hard time separating the art from the artist. I don't think I've seen any of the more, more recent Clint Eastwood films. Because, to me, he's just getting older and more out of touch. Yeah. I haven't seen his last couple either. I've heard that they're pretty bad, except for Richard Jewell, I heard was pretty good. Mm, I don't know. I, haven't, I think Gran Torino may be the last Clint Eastwood movie I watched. Mm. Well, another... <laughs> thing about his more recent films that is just absurd is like i've uh, made this complaint about other films where they have like an old ass guy knocking people out with one punch that's clint eastwood up to this day well but what's worse is he still tries to be sexy in movies in his <laughs> 90s i think in cry macho which was like two or three years ago he has a threesome in that movie what hold up because robert de niro plays sexy grandpa in that movie with zach efron he plays or, bad grandpa. Bad grandpa, but he's sexy grandpa. Okay. I mean, he plays that well. He's also 25 years younger than Clint Eastwood. We were watching, when I was watching um, uh, Unforgiven. Yeah. It's what, 1993, 92? Yeah, 92. And I'm sitting there going, he's so old in yeah. 92. <laughs> Him and Gene Hackman both. They were both like in their mid-60s. Um. You know, and to like in 92, he was too old for that role. Yeah. And then you like fast forward to like Gran Torino where he's in like he's like 85 mm -hmm. and he's now way too old for that role. And then fast forward another 10 years to Cry Macho or where, The Mule where he's 115 90, years old. <laughs> he's 96 years old and fucking knocking people out and getting in threesomes. You know he's not punching anybody because his bones would break. You know he's not throwing good dick neither. If he took a blue chew, it would kill him. Well, I mean, he's just... There's no way he's not on blood thinners. He's that strong of a man. Uh, he's that masculine. Mm -hmm. He lives for himself and Reagan. Yeah. So... Clint Eastwood is tired, to yeah. say the least. What else you got against him? Bring it. I mean, I think I went for a pretty good rip there. You only said you don't like him for one real, re two real reasons. Well, I he's racist. He's a well, three reasons. He's racist. He's phony, and he's old. Yeah, pretending right. to not be old. 
That's pretty good. Three pretty good ones. The phony being the biggest charge. He's a phony. Everybody around me are phonies. He's acting like a, an Italian or a Mexican Catholic. A lot of false machismo. Let's not do this again. But really, he's effeminate. Let's not do this again. He's a fake fucking tough guy sissy. There's nothing more effeminate than an Italian. Yeah. They can be brought to tears with anything. Either like a beautiful landscape or like the slightest inconvenience. Oh, signore. I mean, don't fault them for coming to tear from a beautiful landscape. That's not effeminate. That's As a, no, that's wholesome. That's female behavior, bro. That's, that's you're just going to be moved by the majesty of this planet. Your toxic you masculinity is showing. Hey, at least it's authentic. Is it? Yeah. It seems phony. You're really latching on to just the fact that I use the word phony. I mean, I think the f- guy who first says phony in a conversation is the phony person. What? Because like you like the whole point of catcher in the rye. So you can't use any pejorative then, because the it automatically applies to you. No, just phony. Because catcher in the rye is like the whole thing. Him going around, like, everybody around me is a phony when he's the phony. Do you think fucking J.D. Salinger invented the word? No. Do you think he owns the word? No. Do you think that word can be used in contexts that don't apply to bratty kids from New York? No. You didn't even hear that last question, did you? No, it only applies to bratty kids from New York. Well, I'm not from New York, Bubba. Yeah, but that's why you're a phony. You're pretending to be. Look, all, all right. I'm saying is when you start levying phony around to people. I'm sorry I insulted your fake cowboy dad. You immediately sound like a phony. Okay, he's inauthentic. Does that okay, yeah, so you know, assuage you more? Yeah, I like that. He's inauthentic. He is inauthentic. Are you saying he's an authentic? Because <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's <laughs> be done with this. You're getting a little off track, Matt. Let's go ahead. Yeah. What was I thinking? So that was my enemy of the pod. <laughs> it turns out the enemy of the pod is me. Yes. It's always you. It's always you. You're always the enemy of the pod. It's like how in the Big Lebowski, <laughs> Walter's the secret antagonist. My name means nothing. My fortune. Uh, probably just doesn't like me because I used to be a piece of shit. I'm not worried about it. I, I know I used to be a piece of shit. My future is shrouded in dark. I didn't fucking do this! Did you used to be a piece of shit? Oh, slash. Slick back hair, white bathing suit, sloppy steaks, white couch. You would have not liked me back then. Everything you must have raised something. I didn't raise fucking shit. I didn't raise shit. I'm worried that the baby thinks people can't change. Let him hold the baby. People can change. I used to be a piece of shit. Spiked up blonde hair, little bitty jeans, chicken spaghetti and chicolinis. People can change. Let the boy hold the baby. So Unforgiven, released in 1992, was directed by Clint Eastwood and written by David Webb Peoples. It stars Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, Richard Harris, James Wolvett, and Anna Thompson. 
The budget was $14.4 million with a box office return of $160 million. It also won Best Picture in the 1992 Oscars, and Gene Hackman won Best Supporting Actor. You want to break us down a synopsis? Yeah, this is the synopsis of Unforgiven. She was a comely young woman, and not without prospects. Therefore, it was a heartbreaking to her mother that she would enter into a marriage with William Money, a known thief and murderer, a man of notoriously vicious and intemperate disposition. When she died, it was not at his hands, as her mother might have expected, but of smallpox. That was 1878. That's a real wordy way of saying, I used to be a huge piece of shit. So, what's fun about that is (laughs) absolutely nothing. Sorry. (laughs) I dropped my phone. So, that's the opening quote to Unforgiven. And you ask yourself, Michael, why, why read that? And... If you watch Unforgiven, you're going to ask yourself, Unforgiven, why did you read that to me? Yeah. (laughs) Because other than the quote at the end of the movie, which is equally stupid, Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't really have a lot of relevance. Other than to say, William Mooney. Money. Money. I hate that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was like a dumbass like screenwriter saying, it's like, Will Money. Will kill for money. (laughs) It's Mooney. It's 100% spelled Mooney. Well, they pronounce it money. They do, but it's but spelled But they spell Mooney. it the way the currency from Kingdom Hearts is money. Mooney. 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 I like money. <laughs> but, you know, so Clint Eastwood's whole character is, I used to be a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Then I got married to this woman, and that's all it took. She got me to get off the drink. She got me to stop killing. She got me to stop thieving. She got me to stop raping. She got me to stop beating animals. Because that's a big one. That's a big thing for him. Is he used to beat animals? The biggest thing for him is telling people this he, over and over and over again. He used to have slick back hair, and he used to love sloppy steaks. White couches. He and Ned would walk into the local saloon, order a uh, a well-done steak and a glass of water and just watch them try to not pour water all over their steaks. keep would tell them, don't you pour water on this well-done steak. And we'd wait till he turned his back. Every time. Clint Eastwood in this movie, William, William Money, used to be a piece of shit. So the movie starts with you're in a s- small, generic, western city, town. Big whiskey. It, dime a dozen. Pick your random western. That's the city you're in, and this cattle, this horse farmer, rancher, whatever. Quick, Mike gets mad because a prostitute sees his winky and laughs at it. All she did was giggle at his little pecker, and so he cuts her face to pieces. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole big uproar. Our Sheriff rolls in Little Bill, played by Eugene. Uh, yeah, Gene Hackman. I don't know where I got Eugene. Played by Gene I, Hackman. Gene might be short for Eugene. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds dumb to say Eugene yeah. Hackman, though. Uh, played by Gene Hackman. Oh, it does a really good job in this role, by the way. But I have a quick digression. Okay, go ahead. So I was watching this interview with Sting. And uh, <laughs> one of the Did Sting, you know Sting cries after sex? Sting doesn't come. 
No, he cries, though. Oh. So he was, it was like a press junket type thing. So there's multiple interviewers. And one of the interviewers, while asking him a question, called him Gordon. And he cut him off and goes, Hey, my mother calls me Sting. My wife <laughs> calls me Sting. <laughs> you know, Sting is a phenomenal artist. Yeah. And I've never listened to his music, but I just he, appreciate that he's making it. He's 75 years old. And sounds exactly the same as he did when he was 20. I do actually really enjoy Sting. I was quoting Zoolander just then. I don't listen to his music or nothing, but I just appreciate that he's making it. Um, Sting is so good. Yeah. But anyway, so the whole whole opening scene is to set up that this uh, uh, prostitute, Delilah, gets cut up by this horse herder. And the whole thing is like they're... Little Bill is the sheriff. He's just going to whip these guys with a bullwhip as their punishment. All the prostitutes are like, hey, he deserves more punishment than that. Mm-hmm. And the barkeep who owns the prostitutes says, Skinny. I've got a contract here. I paid good money for these whores. And he's like, all right, fine. I won't whip them. You guys heard of horses? When the spring com- or the thaw comes, you're going to bring... You're going to bring five horses for cutting her, and you're going to bring two horses for not stopping him. Mm. And so all the prostitutes are like, what, 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 why is that? You're not even going to whip him? And they're just like, hush, we've settled this. Mm. And so the prostitutes group together, come up with $1,000 maybe. Yeah. They probably get pretty close, Mm -hmm. if not all of it, and put out a bounty on these guys, on these two horse farmers' heads. This young kid comes in um the the, showfield kid showfield kid comes in who's apparently blind as a bat Mm. he's nearsighted is that right i get nearsighted and farsighted he's farsighted okay he can see things close up but not far away yeah like he can see things apparently within 50 yards which is questionable because there's a scene where they're in bushes like 20 yards from my house and he can't he's like tell me when he comes out Mm -hmm. so he might only be able to see within like 20 feet yeah but anyway the Schofield kid goes out finds William and says everybody says you used to be a piece of shit (laughs) hey I heard you used to be a huge piece of shit and William Money's like go on keep separating them hogs that one's got the fever and he's like I don't know where you heard that I used to be a piece of shit but I ain't a piece of shit no more Give him five minutes. And he's like, get out of here. I ain't a piece of shit no more. And he's like, no well. more. <laughs> and he's like, well, if you decide to be a piece of shit again, there's a thousand dollar bounty. We can split it if you'll catch up with me. And right after the guy leaves, uh, his, his children don't ask him anything, but it, he just devolves onto them. Like, yeah, so I used to be a huge piece of well, shit. One of his, his son, his daughter goes, oh, we're going to have to separate these other hogs because they've also got the fever and he's like kids I used to be a piece of shit okay that's not what we asked you dad (laughs) I'm gonna leave you here for two weeks because I'm gonna go be a piece of shit again (laughs) I used to be a huge piece of shit but your your mother cured me of that she made me a better man if you need anything go talk to Ned across the river bye (laughs) (laughs) and then he leaves and goes to Ned's house and he convinces Ned to leave. So it's like, what if his kids were coming? 
just plops exposition into his children's laps that didn't ask for it. He's like, so he's like trying to get on his horse before he leaves and he can't get on his horse. And the kid's like, dad, why can't you get on the horse? And he's like, well, I used to be a piece of shit that beat animals. I beat this horse a bunch and it probably just still remembers it. I mean, I, I used also, to be a huge piece of shit. I also used to beat hogs. Horse <laughs> whippings, big whiskey, hard tack. I mean, I used to be a huge piece of shit. Tight white pants. Yeah. So he struggles to get on his horse, rides off to Ned. Ned has a wife who is of Native American. Uh, she's a Native American. Mm-hmm. I was going to say descent, but I guess in the setting, it's definitely not descent. No. <laughs> She's just Native American. Um, and she gives him the mean eye because she doesn't think that, well, money can change. And she, she's right. But he basically goes to Ned's house to say, hey, uh, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, watch my kids. Okay, bye. Also, do you want to come with me? You know how we used to be huge pieces of shit, Ned? What if we split some money to be pieces of shit again? And Ned's like, I ain't going with you. And then he's like, okay, I'll go with you. So they <laughs> set, they set off on their way to go be pieces of shit. They find the uh, Schofield kid, and he starts shooting at him. That's where they learn he can't see, because he's shooting all over the place. And the kid's like, I didn't say there could be two of you. I said there'd be one of you. I killed a bunch of people. I killed five people. One of them's a Mexican that came after me with a knife. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, it's the both of us or none of us. And he's like, all right, fine. And so they go off together. Simultaneously, English Bob rose, ro- rolls into big whiskey. Fucking red coat. Ignores the sign on the wall that or on the on the way in that says no firearms in big whiskey. Now, important thing about English Bob is he spends his entire time, all of his speaking roles in this movie are the president got uh, assassinated? <laughs> well, I can see assassinating a president. You'd never assassinate a king or a queen. Yeah, except for every time that that's happened. <laughs> you know, and then they're like, what did you say? He's like, I don't mean no offense, but presidents are stupid. Fuck English Bob. And they're like, you might not mean no offense, but offense is taken. <laughs> and he's like, well, I bet I can shoot more pheasants than you. Mm-hmm. So they shoot pheasants from a moving train. Then he rolls into big whiskey and deputy's like, hey, um, no guns. And he's like, I ain't got a gun. You see his gun on his hip. He's like, I ain't got a gun. And he's got a, the only Jewish guy in the movie with him who's his biographer. Bochamp. Bochamp. W.W.B. Bochamp or whatever. Is he Jewish? I think so. Is he played by a Jewish guy? Maybe the actor might be, but I figured just with the name, he was like French or Cajun. Oh, I assumed that he was. Are you saying that because he's nebishy and weak? <laughs> no, I just the I think the actor's Jewish, so I just assumed that okay. that was his role. Huh. I assume they picked him for that role for a reason. There is a single Jew in Deadwood that is victimized for it. You know, he's a writer. He's telling stories controls hollywood yeah the whole thing there but though hollywood is still mexico (laughs) at this point in time but english bob goes to get his hair cut and after he gets done cutting his hair he's like yeah you know that assassination temp nobody would try to assassinate a king or a queen you stand up in front of a king you pull your gun up you couldn't do it you (laughs) stood you're struck with 
I don't know what the word is, ah, <laughs> and it's like, God, you suck, piece of shit. And the guy, the barber's just like, could you please get out of my store? <laughs> anyway, he goes outside. Uh, little Williams out, little uh, Bill's out there. <laughs> little William. I wanted to call him that the whole time because his name's Bill. Every time they say Little Bill, I I'm automatically hear the laugh from the Little Bill cartoon. <laughs> little Bill, who are you? But, you know, Little Bill's out there with his his posse, his deputies, and proceeds to beat the crap out of English Bob. Mm-hmm. Takes his guns, beat the crap out of him, and it's the like, most likable thing that Gene Hackman does in the whole movie. Agreed. He's like, you were talking your fucking queen bullshit, weren't you? <laughs> On Independence Day? Yeah. And then he sucker punches him off the porch yeah. and then kicks him across the road. Most of what Gene Hackman does in this movie is like beat people up at gunpoint. <laughs> yeah, he make, he takes their guns away and then beats them while talking about how they're all cowards and not real men. Mm-hmm. While they're having like six other guys point guns at him so they can't fight back. Yes. Also, Gene Hackman's a big dude, even for being like in his mid-60s. And so, uh, Bo Champ's there, and he like moves his bag too quick, and they point their guns at him and cock it, and then he pisses himself. Mm -hmm. And so, cut to uh, the whole big thing about little Bill beating up English Bob was in part, he doesn't like English Bob. Yeah. And two... He's trying to like prove this point of we don't need we don't need people coming here to try to kill these ranchers uh, for a thousand dollars because word has gotten out these prostitutes are given a thousand dollars if you'll kill these ranchers. He goes to the jail. There's this weird scene where uh, Bochamp's like, "Well, English Bob did all this stuff. It's in my book," and Little Bill's like, "No, I was there. Mm-hmm. Two guns shot himself in the foot." And English Bob was so drunk that he shot him after two guns gun exploded in his hand. And he's like, well, why didn't he have a second gun? He's like, oh, because his penis was so big that they called him two guns. Yeah, he didn't. He only had one gun. It's just that his dick was bigger than the barrel of most guns. And it's like, what? Anyway, so then the <laughs> next the rest of the movie for like the next 15 minutes is. <laughs> little Bill explaining how big of a piece of shit English Bob is. Mm-hmm. And Little Bill's like, I used to be a piece of shit. Yeah. English Bob's still a piece of shit. I don't think he can change. Well, I mean, you know how you make a British person not a piece of shit? You kill them. <laughs> you shoot them in the fucking head we and then they stop being shitty. And, and English Bob is exactly the kind of British person that's the enemy of the pod. Mm-hmm. Last week. Last week. It's like, that's why we don't like them. It's like, we get why did you come here to kill people? Oh, and by the way, it should be noted, English Bob is known for, quote, working for the train company, killing Chinamen. That's yeah. like his description. Mm-hmm. So it's not like England's sending their best to us. They They're sending do. their murderers, their rapists. We should build something that keeps the English out. I like, like an that. ocean. On the rare occasion that a hot British lady is born, she immediately becomes Americanized, like Elizabeth Hurley or Kate Beckinsale. It's like, no, nah, they're ours. How do we get rid of their accent? We got to move them off that ugly island. <laughs> that island of hideous people. Let's get them drinking coffee fast. Yeah. But, you know, so also side story for all this, little Bill is building at his own house and he's a really bad carpenter. 
And yeah. that's just a joke for the whole movie is how bad of a carpenter he is. But Little Bill's telling all these stories essentially about what it takes to be a real man to Bochamp. So Bochamp can write new Westerns mm-hmm. about how real men are. White hat, black hat is really the whole Bochamp thing. And so, and that's part of the revisionist Westerns that I'm sure you'll want to talk about, Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we kind of get through this becoming long synopsis. Unforgiven's kind of a long movie. Yeah. It's like two and a half hours or something. Mm. Anyway, so the uh, the trio, the kid, uh, William, and Ned catch up to the ranch hands. Oh, I'm, I should back up. William gets a fever when I'm, they get into big whiskey. I got to piss again. Oh. So William gets a fever as they go into big whiskey and... So they're, they're in the saloon of Big Whiskey. They didn't turn over their guns either. And I will say that it's really odd because Matt's gotten up to go use the bathroom. And I, I might be breaking the fourth wall here if there is one. Uh, but it's real weird to talk to just the microphone with nobody else around. It's not very conversational. But William is in the saloon with Ned. They didn't turn over their guns. The kid goes upstairs to get an advance on the payment from the prostitutes. Uh, which just means that they're giving them uh, a free dollar sexual encounter. And he does that, I guess, a couple times over the next few days. But anyway, there's a real weird back and forth where Ned's like, uh, if I go up here, you um, will you not um, uh, uh, basically tell my tell wife, my wife. a piece he, of shit again? But he never says that. And he goes, I guess you won't. Um, you don't want to. If it goes well, you won't want to join you're like oh my god just go yeah please go get your nut ned (laughs) by the way ned is morgan freeman's character and it's never really brought up that he's the only black guy in the whole movie he he is the only black guy in the whole movie Mm. but so while ned and the kid are upstairs in the billiards room the billiard table got burned down in 1878 by the way um, while they're up there having sex with prostitutes, little Bill comes in to see feverish William and who's like seeing dead people yeah. with like their skulls split open and worms crawling around in their brains. Like he's gone and he takes his gun from him, kicks the shit out of him in front of everybody while he's at gunpoint from six men after calling him a pussy. Yeah. And then Bo champs in the background being like, this is how real men do it. Mm-hmm. They hold somebody at gunpoint call them a pussy and kick the shit out of them <laughs> got it flash forward a century the real life clint eastwood is reading bochamp's book and learning how to be a man exactly so what happens next is clint eastwood like crawls beaten and feverish out the front door ned and the kid roll out of the window off the second floor and they all end up at a house somewhere outside of town where the prostitutes are bringing them food and medicines and more advancements eventually William breaks his fever. He jokes to Delilah, whose face is cut up with scars, and says, We got the same faces now. <laughs> you ugly like me, huh? <laughs> which, like, ruins Delilah's mood, yeah. to which he later apologizes. He's like, I'm not saying that you're you're ugly like I am. I'm just saying our faces both got scars. <laughs> and it's like, uh, do you want an advancement? He goes, No. I don't want to have sex with you. And he goes, uh, not because you're ugly, because I, I got, I don't want to be unfaithful to my wife. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh my gosh, he's the, 
last good man in the West. And he's like, you don't understand, I used to be a piece of shit. <laughs> Hold on, yeah, this happens again. <laughs> We're not being cute. He literally <laughs> drops this monologue like three or four times throughout the movie about how he used, it's big born-again Christian energy. Or like your friend that's like three days off of cigarettes telling you how good they feel. And he's like, he was just waiting for that next smoke. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then on the side, she goes back to tell all the prostitutes how good of a guy he is. And they're like, he doesn't have a wife. Yeah, she's dead. You realize he's a piece of shit, right? Yo, he used to be a huge piece. Well, he said as much, but not anymore, right? No, uh, he's still one. Yeah. Or one again, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they go up. Um, Ned's a good sharpshooter with a rifle. Um, they find the the horse traders, and Ned shoots the guy's horse. It falls over, breaks one of the uh, guys they're trying to kill's leg, and then Ned goes to shoot him, and he's just like, oh, my God, I used to be a piece of shit, but I can't pull the trigger anymore. And Clint Eastwood's like, well, I'm still a piece of shit, <laughs> and takes the gun and shoots the guy eventually because he can't see either. Like, or he can't aim. He uh, yeah. He's not good with rifles or handguns. Yeah, um, Ned, Bill, and the Schofield kill it. Kind of make up like a D and D party, and they're like specializations of weapons. Like the kid's good up close with a revolver. Ned's good with long range, and then Clint kind of uses like a shotgun. I think. Yeah, he uses a, an old double barrel. Yeah. Also, it's funny seeing Morgan Freeman go despondent in this scene because it's just funny to see somebody with a far away look in their eyes while wearing a cowboy hat just. Well, Morgan <laughs> Freeman does a, he comes catatonic. Just oh, Morgan God. Freeman does a good job with this role. He's just like I can't, yeah. I can't do it. And then the kids just like I can't see that far. What's <laughs> going on? And it's just like five minutes of him yelling, "Is he dead? Did you hit him? <laughs> What's going on?" And then he's uh, the the guy that's just been shot. Well, so William shoots him, and he goes, "Help! I've been shot in the gut. I need water." I'm so thirsty. I'm dying. I'm dying for five minutes. It's like an Eric Andre yeah. sketch. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of a uh, Austin Powers when Will Ferrell's yes. character falls through the pit and he's like, "I'm alive, but I broke my leg." Where he falls off the cliff. Oh, well, I think they do the same joke in a different so Austin Powers at, at the at the Will Ferrell one is when he has the fez on. Yeah, and he's like, "You have to ask me a question three times, and I'll answer it." Yeah. And they're like, really? That's so irritating. They're like, really? Three times? And he goes, I'll never tell you anything. And they're like, oh, we've got to ask you three times. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. And he goes, really? And he goes, yes, you have to ask me three times. And he gets like a poison dart, falls off a cliff. And he's like, oh, my God, I think my leg is broken. I smell almonds. <laughs> <laughs> so they kill one of the guys. It's and the, not even the one that cut anybody. No, it's his smaller friend that kind of tried to pull him off her. Well, he held her first. Yeah. And then tried to pull him off her. Mm-hmm. And then brings her a pony. Yeah. Piece of shit. <laughs> everybody in this movie is a piece of shit or they used to be a piece of shit. I think everybody in this movie is actively a piece of shit. Um, there's like no redeeming person in this. No. But so they don't kill the other guy. They promise not to kill him so he can give his friend water until he dies. And then Ned's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm leaving because <laughs> he's Carl Childers. Yep. And I was wondering when I was going to pop up. <laughs> so Ned's like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to go. And he's like going home. They catch him. Big Whiskey uh, catches him and they tie him up in the jail. Little Bill like whips him 
mm-hmm. until he tells the truth, which he doesn't do. So they kill him and put him in a coffin outside of the the saloon with a sign on it that says "Big Whiskey Don't Like Assassins." Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, meanwhile, uh, William and the kid go wait outside of the house where all the other bad guys are holed up. Uh, waiting for him to come outside so that he goes in the outhouse. They're going to kill him. Quick, quick Mike. Mike comes out, goes into the outhouse. Drops a shrimp basket. The kid's like, let me get him. Promise you'll let me kill him. And he walks around, opens the outhouse door. He almost doesn't pull the trigger. Uh, he takes so long that somebody from inside the house comes out and sees him. Then he shoots Quick Mike three times. They run off. Hell of gunfire. Whatever. Quick Mike kind of looks like Mac from It's Always Sunny if someone drew a unibrow on him. <laughs> kind of. Then they... Go wait outside of Big Whiskey. One of the prostitutes comes up and is like, here's your money. And he's like, all right, we're going to share it with Ned. And she's like, Ned's dead. Ned's <laughs> hanging up inside the town. Meanwhile, there's like a monologue going on with the kid where he's like, you know, how I said I killed five people and you guys didn't believe me. Well, I hadn't. That was the first guy I killed. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to kill again. Keep the money. I'm leaving. I never truly understood until this moment. What it means to be a piece of shit. And then William goes, taking a man's life is taking everything from him and taking everything they're going to be. Keep drinking, kid. Yeah, Will takes a couple slugs of whiskey and turns into Vash the Stampede. (laughs) Then he proceeds to essentially pound the rest of the whiskey bottle. Mm -hmm. uh, And then in the pouring rain goes into big whiskey where he walks into the saloon sees you know he sees ned outside that makes him real angry he walks into the saloon with a shotgun and he's like who here owns this establishment the guy's like i do i bought it from uh greedy or whatever his yeah. name is uh for a thousand dollars and he goes anybody who doesn't want to get shot needs to move away from him and he shoots that guy um with the shotgun gene hackman calls him a coward yeah gene hackman's like you're gonna shoot a man who's unarmed and then William goes, I guess he should have gotten armed then. And it's like, uh, he should have these armed, are the same people. He, he should have armed himself if he was going to decorate his bar with my friend's body. That's what he says. And it's like, little Bill and William are the same people at this point. Mm-hmm. Just like, you can kill somebody as long as they should have gotten armed. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes to do the same thing to little Bill. But then, because it's raining so much... His shell got wet and it misfired. So little Bill pulls out his pistol and everybody's got their guns trained on uh, William at this point. And then he, it seems like William shoots forever, mm-hmm. but he's cool, calm and collected. And he proceeds to just shoot everybody and everybody just misses him. Then he grabs, uh, he, he kills everybody. Everybody that doesn't get shot leaves he grabs the Spencer rifle that was Ned's, loads it up, and then as he's like drinking at the bar, little Bill's like, ah, I'm actually still alive, and cocks his gun. William hears him, walks over. They have an exchange. Blows his hand off. Where he's like, this ain't fair. And William goes, nothing about this is fair. <laughs> Shoots him. And then walks outside, and he's like, I'm leaving Nobody shoot at me or I'll kill you. I'll kill your wives and I'll burn your house down. <laughs> and then he just walks out of town on horseback. 
He also says, I'll be back in a week, and if Ned doesn't have a proper burial, I'm killing everybody. He's like, if you cut him up real weird <laughs> or do anything squirrely, I'm coming back and I'm killing everybody. <laughs> Put him in a good suit, not one that's going to make him look dumb. And then he like goes home, and everybody leaves... Uh, or like his, he like goes home, gets his kids. They leave For never San to return. Francisco. And then there's like another quote at the end where it's like, and William money's dead wife's mom went to the house only to find a tombstone that didn't say why she loved a murderous, feverous raper like William money. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. That's it. Two and a half hours later. There we are. So this movie does a lot of things that I like, but there's a lot of very clumsy execution. And I would say, how did this win Best Picture? But as I went over in past episodes, the Oscars are bullshit. So, of course. Well, and it's a star-studded cast. Mm -hmm. It's a good movie. I wouldn't say it's a great movie. No. It's not like, I mean, I wouldn't give it an award. A lot of people consider this to be like the best Western ever made, and I strongly disagree. It's all right. I mean... It's definitely going out of its way to be the revisionist Western that I spoke about last episode. Well, and, and that's definitely manifested by Bochamp. Yeah. Who were like, they're, they're like actively... You've got English Bob, who is the old John Wayne Western. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... Bochamp and uh, the Schofield Kid are kind of perfect foils for each other because they both live off of these tall tales of the Wild West and live by them accordingly without knowing that they're all bullshit. Well, right. And, you know, so Bochamp is trying to be this biographer of the real Wild West. Mm. And so he tags up with English Bob, who just blows smoke up his ass the whole time about these big legends and stories of grandeur. Yeah. About how... He's the fastest gun in the land, and he mm. killed a guy who had two guns. When the story was, he shot a guy whose hand had blown up and was falling to the ground. Yeah, you know, Contrast- all, be- all because that guy had sex with a British woman that English Bob wanted to have sex with. Yeah. And contrast that with the tales about William Money that are undersold that he purposely goes along with, so people don't know how bad he used to be. Like, yeah. there's a scene, a story about William's past where. He draws and kills two men in like a second. And then Morgan Freeman later asked him, was like, well, I was there and you killed three men, actually. Well, and then but when the kids ask him about that, he's like, I don't remember anything like that happening. Yeah, he says he was drunk the whole time. Well, that that's a little bit later. This time he's like, I don't recollect. Yeah. He just says, I don't recollect. And then cut forward. They're walking on their horses. And Ned goes, I recall you killed three men. And then, like, Williams proceeds to spend the rest of the time going, I don't remember. I was drunk. Yeah. I was drunk the whole time. But my wife, you know, I used to be a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then she got me to stop drinking and beating horses. And you're like, we get it. Stop telling us. But because William is eating spaghetti chicolini. (laughs) William is rewriting his own history Mm -hmm. because he's never changed. He's just stopped killing people. Ned actually has changed. He can't pull the trigger on a person anymore. Yeah. The kid is got stories of grandeur, mm-hmm. realizes once he's in it that he does not want to be in it anymore. Yeah. And uh, one thing that 
they bring up a lot, uh, both Will and Ned, is their <sighs> dependence on alcohol when they were doing all this killing in the past. And that it was a sense of like, that's how you steadied yourself and were able to go through with it. And uh, whenever little Bill is talking about what it takes to kill a man and stuff, he's like, it's not about being the fastest draw or having the best aim. It's about nerve. Well, yeah, it's about being cool, calm, yeah. and collected. It's Which is like easier be- to do if you're hammered. Being the fastest gun is, you know, you, you're just doing everything faster, so you're not taking the time. You're going to miss. Mm. And Bochamp's like, well, what if the guy with the faster gun hits you? And he's like, well, you're dead. Yeah. But, you know, all in all, you know, y- you can tell that this movie, they intend for this to kind of show the brutality of the West through the kid. Like, it's romantic. The kids romanticize the West and making tall tales for himself. And then once he actually has to shoot somebody, he's so overcome with guilt that he hangs up his gun never to shoot again. Mm-hmm. And the character of the Schofield kid is like very obnoxious throughout the whole movie. I don't think you're supposed to like him a whole lot. But the scene where he like breaks down after killing Quick Mike was a very good scene for yeah. that actor. He does a really good job in that scene of conveying the weight yeah. that should be con- like it shouldn't be easy to kill people like westerns mm-hmm. make it seem like in a western they'll kill like 15 people and be like here's a sip of whiskey yeah and then and he's so and, and during this dialogue the the kid's just like chugging whiskey like straight from the bottle like he's freaking out yeah and he kind of looks to will for reassurance and says well they had it coming to which will replies we all got it coming and then just tells him to keep drinking yeah uh and another line that's kind of goes with the we all got it coming line is whenever he's got the gun on little bill at the end of the movie and he says this isn't fair and he's like yeah of course it ain't so i think it's a it's a fine movie it's not good though yeah well i, I should let me phrase it's not great though it deserves to be in like the canon of american western films but it's far from the pinnacle in my opinion the way that people celebrate it yeah i wouldn't celebrate it's definitely not as good as tombstone no or even as the other western that won two years prior dances with the wolves also super fucking long it's hard to i I, you can't fault it i think it's pretty good for a clint eastwood western yeah you don't expect a whole lot from clint eastwood as far as introspective Mm -hmm. films go the thing that just so that dumbfounded me throughout it was how heavy-handed it was and clumsy like i said with will constantly dropping that same bit of exposition about how he used to be a huge piece of shit i was like that's bad filmmaking did no one tell him not to do that but uh it's interesting because as a director this is about the exact midpoint of clint eastwood's career his first film was a uh, play me misty or something from 1971 and his latest film was 2021 and this was 1992 so it's about directly in the middle of his directing career so these like kind of rookie mistakes he's making it's baffling but also a notorious thing about working on a Clint Eastwood set is that he only does one take two if he absolutely has to. That's why actors love working with him because it's like four hour days. Well, and I, it's, I don't know if it's, it seems the part of, of him saying I used to be a piece of shit a whole lot is he's trying to make this demarcation of cowboy movies, make it out so that there's all this murder and that's not good. And that's the whole point. It's just like, I'm trying to, I want to make sure when you're done with this movie, you realize that black hats are not good. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, we get it. You don't have to keep telling us. But he's like, I have to tell you. Because if I don't tell you explicitly, you're not going to get it. 
and this isn't the first story of an ethical outlaw versus a corrupt lawman. Well, and little Bill isn't like the worst guy in this movie. No. He's just like a weird authoritarian. Yeah, it's like he doesn't actually do anything. He doesn't actually hate guns. He actually really likes guns, just he doesn't like it when people he doesn't know have them. Well, and he doesn't actually do anything too awful bad. Mm. Like he's he's in a gray area. Yeah. For like he's not like this villain that is just so reprehensible that you can't even no. believe how he exists. He's like, he's going to whip these guys for cutting up a prostitute because he doesn't really care about prostitutes too much until somebody says, Hey, well they've caught, co- this has cost me money. And he's like, all right, well here, there needs to be financial restitution. I'll, I'll find them instead. Punishment dolt out. <laughs> and then he, you know, when he beats up English Bob in a way, it's good because he's like, English Bob's a bad guy. I'm going to beat the crap out of him and put him in jail. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to send him on his way after he's thought about it and tell him not to come back or I'm going to kill him. And it's like, okay, so English Bob you get. And then he does the same thing to uh, William. But you do know William is there to just murder somebody that he's never met based off a story mm-hmm. that he cut somebody up. Uh, well, similar to what you said earlier about everyone in this movie is a piece of shit. You're right everyone's ethics are skewed in this movie. And I think that's a more realistic portrayal of the West is that everyone has their own self-interest in mind. And it's not really a black and white morality tale. It's everyone's wearing a gray hat, whether it's, you know, the prostitutes themselves seeking out a death sentence for this, which, you know, it's wrong that their friend got cut up, but she lived. That doesn't mean quick Mike deserves to die. And his buddy Davey definitely doesn't deserve to die either. Well, and they also, I think told bigger stories about how injured she was. Yeah. That's another thing about the tall tales of the wild West is whenever they hear the story of her getting cut up, it's way more graphic than what actually happened. Yeah. So, I mean, it's there's, and you know what, there's an interesting scene where when the horse guys come back, mm-hmm. the one, the, the more innocent of the two guys brings a horse just for the victim of the attack. And all of her fellow prostitutes run him out of town. Yeah. And she doesn't get the horse because they're going, how dare you? You need to get out of here. And it's like, why don't you let her have the horse? Yeah, she can sell the horse and be somewhat compensated. Because at this point, like, they're not fighting for Delilah. They're fighting for the sense of justice they think that they deserve. Yeah. And they're the prostitutes union. Mm-hmm. decided like this is for all of us and they really like don't care about Delilah at all yeah nobody wants justice everyone wants a score Vengeance. settled yeah yeah it's because no one's forgiven mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost like they're unforgiven no matter what debt you pay no matter what attempts you make you used to be a piece of shit and you're always going to be a piece of shit and we all got it coming I'll tell you the horse that Clint Eastwood rides doesn't think he can change. No. Ned's Native American wife does not think anybody can change. And Bill's the fact of the matter is, no one pretty indifferent to whether or not he changes. Actually, the, the fact of the matter is, no one changed. Mm-hmm. I love except his, for Ned. I love his foul mouthed son at the beginning. That's just cussing about the hogs while he's dropping all this exposition on him, and the kid just seems so uninterested. Like, yeah, cool, Dad. I don't give a shit. Well, can he, you help me with these hogs? He he's cussing and like he's like son. I used to be a piece of shit. Don't cuss. Yeah. <laughs> I used to cuss a lot. I used to cuss up a storm. I used to be the best cusser in Wyoming. I cussed I cussed the Pope. And then your your mom said, No more. Quit drinking whiskey. <laughs> and then I quit. 
I used to be a huge piece of shit. Big whiskey, swear words, slapping horses. She said, you're going to eat your steaks dry. (laughs) And I said, (laughs) okay. That's what a good woman will do to you. Make you a better man. And then I gave her smallpox. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, everyone has like a very absurd view of justice in this film. And no one's... like It's the justice that even if they got what they wanted, they would never be satisfied with it. Yeah. I mean, well, because everybody wanted something selfishly and nobody was really concerned with Mm -hmm. what was right or wrong. I mean, I think you're right. Yeah, and our trio of protagonists, they're not doing this for justice. They're doing it for money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the kid's doing it not really. I don't think the kid's doing it just for money. I think the kid's doing it. He wants a reputation. Because he wants, he's romanticized what it means to be a cool cowboy. Yeah. And that's what he's going to go be. And then he realizes that the reality of that is much worse than he thought. Ned is just doing it because William asked him to, essentially. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, could always use more money. Yeah. William is just doing it for more money. He's, like, stressed about the hogs getting the fever. And he's like, well, I just want money. Yeah. Because he says to Ned at some point, we used to do this for money. And Ned goes, did we do it for money? Mm-hmm. Or did we used to be pieces of shit? Yeah. And, like, that's the back and forth there. And I don't think... William ever gives an answer, but no, it's, it's not all that deep. I think the analysis of it comes in what they didn't do right as opposed to what they did. Yeah. Like I said, I like what the movie's going for. I just think the execution falls short on a lot of scenes. It's inartful. You know, it is kind of sloppy, but maybe if you did more than one shot, you could get some more nuance in there. Is this the rare occasion for you where a lack of art is impeding the movie? No, I think it's just sloppy directing. Yeah. Like, it it doesn't have to be more artful. It could have just been better done, better mm-hmm. written, better acted. You could definitely trim it up some, too. It doesn't need to be that long. It's so, there's so much, so many scenes on horseback for no reason. Because mm-hmm. it is like two and a half hours long. Yeah. And it's an hour and a half in before they even get near Big Whiskey. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of movie for apparently no reason. Mm-mm. Big whiskey, little bill. So, you know, it's. I don't think it's going to be the best Western we watch no. for this month. Well, I mean, I already know I like Blazing Saddles better. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of apples to oranges on that one. Because, mm. you know, being a parody, it's, it's hard to directly compare it. Yeah, but they are hitting the exact same themes. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think Blazing Saddles has better delivery. It's mm-hmm. better written. Yeah. Um, and with a comedy, you have to be more sharp and precise with your direction. Yeah, uh, I think it's a better movie overall. It's probably not a better Western because its goal is not to be a good Western. Yeah. Its goal is to be a good parody of a Western. I don't know. I think that's about all I got on it, though. Yeah, I reckon that's all I got for Unforgiven as well. This has been another episode of The Snob and the Scent Presents. I've been your host, Matt. And I've been your host, Michael. And uh, come back with us next week. Not next week. Fuck it. I do this every time. Next episode for Tombstone from 1993. To the town of our free rode a stranger one fine day. Hardly spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much to say. No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip. The stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip. Big iron on his hip 
It was early in the morning when he rode into the town. He came riding from the south side, slowly looking all around. He's an outlaw, loose and running, came the whisper from each lip. And he's here to do some business with a big iron on his hip. Big iron on his head In this town there lived an outlaw By the name of Texas Red Many men had tried to take him And that many men were dead He was vicious and a killer Though a youth of 24 And the notches on his pistol Numbered one in 19 more One in 19 more now the stranger started talking, made it plain to folks around. Was an Arizona ranger, wouldn't be too long in town. He came here to take an outlaw back alive or maybe dead. And he said it didn't matter, he was after Texas Red. After Texas Red. Wasn't long before the story was relayed to Texas Red But the outlaw didn't worry, men that tried before were dead Twenty men had tried to take him, twenty men had made a slip Twenty-one would be the ranger with the big iron on his hip Big iron on his hip the morning passed so quickly it was time for them to meet It was twenty past eleven when they walked out in the street Folks were watching from the windows, everybody held their breath They knew this handsome ranger was about to meet his death About to meet his death There was forty feet between them when they stopped to make their play And the swiftness of the ranger is still talked about today Texas red had not cleared leather for a bullet fairly ripped And the ranger's aim was deadly with the big iron on his hip Big iron on his hip It was over in a moment and the folks had gathered round there before them lay the body of the outlaw on the ground Oh, he might have went on living, but he made one fatal slip When he tried to match the ranger with the big iron on his hip Big iron on his hip Big iron, big iron When he tried to match the ranger with the big iron on his hip Big iron on his head